Okay, we are in Sefer Yecheskel, um, Peret Chof, Pasuk Aleph, Vayihi B'Shana Hashviyiz V'Chamisha B'Asorachodesh. But before we begin, let me take a point of personal privilege and announce a very happy birthday wishes to two of our outstanding Talmidim as well as sound engineers, Danny Agus and Jeremiah Steinman, who have been with us from the beginning, and that would include, if you're keeping statistics, 466 shiurim. So we're very proud of them, and we wish them arichas yomim, and continued good health and nachas, and we share it together with them. So we begin Perikhov, which has a very interesting beginning as well. Let's get right into it. Vayihi b'shana hashviyiz, in the seventh year, b'chamishi b'asol lachodesh, in the 15th day, I'm sorry, in the 10th day of the fifth month, Bo Anoshim Zikne Yisrael, come the men of Zikne Yisrael, Lidroshesh Hashem, to seek counsel from Yechezkel by Yoshuvu Lefanai. And they sat before me, Yechezkel is narrating. So, what is the seventh year, the tenth day, the fifth month, the seventh year from what? So, we know and we have learned that the next to last king of Judea, Yehoiachin, He rules for three months, and as we have learned, he is a total disaster, a total calamity, to the extent that after three months, Nebuchadnezzar, who he has betrayed in his loyalty oath, now comes to take him, and we're going to see 10,000 of the elite, the A-listers of Judea, to Bavel. They are going into exile. The idea, of course, makes sense. There can be no revolution or no rebellion if you have got all the political leaders, rabbinical leaders, uh, lawyers, doctors, businessmen, intelligentsia, they're all in Bavel. And that was what his calculation was. And if you think about it, it's very logically strategic, but What Nebuchadnezzar could have never foreseen is that this group of 10,000 formed the backbone of a society of learning and prosperity and exile that has really rarely been matched in our long history. So that they create a society that we feel its effects to this day. The Babylonian Talmud, the great yeshivas were all a product of that exile of 10,000. So that exile is done 11 years before the actual destruction of the temple and the total exile of Judea. And so in the fifth year of that exile, Yechezkel starts a practice, assumed he's been told to do it, of giving a nebuah at 
dating it from the beginning of the exile of Yehoiachin that year. So in the fifth year, he gives a prophecy on the day of the exile, the sixth day. Where is, where is Yehezkel at this point? He is in Babel. He goes with that 10,000 elite. He has been exiled with them. So now it is the seventh year. It is the seventh year of the exile, meaning you've got four years left to go before total destruction. So while Yehibashanashi is in the seventh year, in the fifth month, which is of, in the tenth day, which is Asaraba of, and Mephorshim point out it's no accident that this prophecy comes, because as you know, we observe Tishaba of, but many uh, of Chazal felt that the day should really be the tenth above because that's when the bulk of the damage and destruction, the fire, uh, sees the base Hamikdash. In the end, we poskins and decided that no, it's the ninth above because let's date it from when the damage began, the fire began. But the tenth above is a very ominous day, and it's no accident that this is the day that is chosen for. Uh, Yechezkel to give his seventh year uh, anniversary of the exile prophecy. And this group comes, we've met them before, the Zikne Yisrael, they come Lidrosh es Hashem to counsel the Kodesh with or about the Kodesh Baruch They may want to know are they going back? Are the people in Babel going to come there? And you might think that with the name like Zikne Yisrael, we've met them before, that this would be a prestigious Torah steep group, the elders of Israel. Well, you would be wrong. They're bad people. Some of them are Nevi'eh Sheker, some are scoffers themselves who either want to go, think they're going back any minute, some resist Yechezkel at every turn, and as we're going to see from the next Pasuk, the reaction of the Kodesh Baruch to them is violent. Moreover, as Radak says, I'm sorry, Rashi, Lidrosh Hashem, they're coming al They've got their needs. They have an agenda they want from Yechezkel. And there is an implicit threat. Vim and if you're not going to listen to us, we're not going to be punished anymore because of you, because we're out of here. We are like a slave who's been freed by your rejection of our agenda, or a divorced husband who is now free from a divorce, and we are out. We are not going to be with you. And you can understand their actions and their previous history um, initiates the response that the Kaddish Baruch Hu is, is going to say. And Hashem says to Yechezkel, Ben Adam, Daber is so speak to B'nai Yisrael, Ba'amata Aleyhem, Ko'amar Hashem Elohim, Halidoreshosi Atem Ba'im, are you coming to counsel with me, to confer with me, to make demands on me? Chayoni, I take a shrua on my own name, says the Kodesh Baruch If I'm going to meet with you, if I will deign to counsel with you, Num Hashem Elohim. It's important to point out, the Radak points out, that when the Navi uses Zikne Yehuda, they are tzaddikim. When it's Zikne Yisrael, they are 
14 carat phonies. Interestingly enough, there are some of Fortune who say we're being too harsh on the Zikneis. Well, there are actually some very good people among them, and they're coming to inquire about the welfare of B'nai Yisrael, and the intensity of the rejection is because B'nai Yisrael is so bad and so evil and so irredeemable at this point that the Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't want to hear anything. Interestingly, the Radak points out that later in the parak we're going to see... But, but, but let me ask you this. What, what, this is all just for... to illustrate a point, right? Because this is... The, I always wonder, Hashem knows why they're going to Yecheskel. He knows what they're going to ask before they've done it. Right. So why does he have to... I mean, you know, what's the point of, um, of having Yecheskel tell them... Get out of here. Yeah, right. Interesting enough, it leads right into the Medrash that the Radak says, but wait, later on in the parrot, we're going to see... He instructs Yechezkel to Jarechlehem. Sit down with them, counsel with them. Why the change of mind? And the answer is that the Kaddish Baruch Hu always has that compassion where, yes, he knows, but he wants to give them the opportunity for tshuva. So in the end, Yechezkel is going to be instructed, sit down with them. Meanwhile, uh, for now, say no. Do you think I'm going to sit and counsel with them? No, never. But, but what's going to change? What would, what would the outcome, or even the outcome later in the parak? what's the outcome oh, of... that may, they've got to go along. The Kaddish Baruch Hu's plan is to stay in Bavel. Stop resisting, stop making little rebellious flare-ups. Go with the, these guys are talking about going back and they're sending a message to the back, the people back in uh, Judea, this will be over soon, we're coming back, you know, and that's totally inimical to the agenda. Now, says the Kaddish Baruch in stronger terms to Yechezkel, Rebuke these people, Yechezkel. Don't sit silent. For the abominations of their father, let them know what they've done. And now you are going to get a phenomenal 900-year history lesson that begins from the exodus of Egypt where the Kaddish Baruch and Yechezkel are going to demonstrate that nothing has changed. It's in four phases, each era, that yes, I picked you, I elevated you, I promised you something wonderful, and I did it and you rebelled. And I said, all right, I will destroy you, I will scatter you, and then the Kaddish Baruch says, wait, for my own covet, so there won't be a chilo, I will spare them. And this scenario, as we're going to see, goes on for 900 years. It is now four years before the destruction, and it is irredeemable. So, let's begin the history lesson. The first time I 
spoke to B'nai Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. And I raised my hand to them in a shvua, letting them know who I was and how I was going to deliver them. I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore a covenant to them, that I would take them out of their slavery, El Eretz, to a land, which is of splendor, that will be flowing with milk and honey. It was the most splendorous, beautiful of lands, of all the countries in the world. So I swore to them, A, I will get you out of here. B, I will bring you to the land that is the most beautiful land in the world with you will prosper mightily. But I have one request. Take away these abominations from your eyes that you have learned in Egypt. Cast out these Avodah Zorah of Egypt, Alti don't defile yourself. Ani Hashem Eloheichem, I am the Lord your God. be, they rebelled against me. they didn't even want to listen to me. they did not cast off their abominations, and the idol worship of Egypt, lo Oslu, they did not leave. And now I have said I will pour my wrath on them, destroy them, in the midst of Egypt. They will never come out of Egypt. And you see, by the way, Metrish tells us, four-fifths of the Jews enslaved in Mitzrayim were choosing not to leave Mitzrayim. They were going to stay in their slavery. This would be a terrible bizarre humiliation to B'nai Israel and the Kodesh Baruch So the Medrash tells us that during the plague of darkness, this 80%, 80% of the people that were enslaved in Mitzrayim died in the plague of darkness so that the Egyptians won't even realize it. So, the Eslaman Shemi, and in the end, in the Mitzrayim era, I did for my own name, so it would not be profaned, among the Goyim that were there in Egypt, because they knew my promise to get you out. They are going to say that you didn't go, you were destroyed there because I, speaking for the Kodesh Baruch, could not get you out. It would be a total embarrassment to me. I let them know before their eyes that I was going to take you out. And we have seen this so many times in our history. We see it in Hallel where we say it's like a last resort. Not for us, we're not we have no merit, but for your covet, Kaddish Baruch Hu, you've got to do what you, Moshe uses it when the Kaddish Baruch Hu wants to kill them after the Egel, and after the Maraglin, the spies. And each time it appeals to the Kaddish Baruch Hu that yes, it's almost a, a, a public relations perception 
that he doesn't want the nations to think the Kaddish Baruch who can't do it. He can't get them out of Mitzrayim. He can't get them through the desert alive. So we're going to see it's a repetitive theme. Now, so what did I do despite your lack of any meeting me on this ground of casting off Avodah Zorah? I brought you out of Egypt, and I take you to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, I give you my chukos, my statutes, mishpatai, my mitzvahs. I have given you them so you will know them. I give you them so that you will live. This guarantees your life. You will live them. It's a very famous expression. The mitzvahs are given for us to live by. The Gamet Shabbos, additionally, addition to the Aseris Hadibros, I gave you a gift from my greatest treasure house. That is the Shabbos. The concept of Shabbos Nasati Lahem Liosla Osme Niu that will be a sign, a covenantal sign between us, Ladaski Ani Hashem Mekadshom, to know that I have sanctified you through the Shabbos. Vayemrubi. You still rebel against me, Beis Yisrael Bamidbar, in the desert, Bechu Kosai, in my statutes, Lohochu, you don't follow, Beshmispatayim, Asu, my mitzvahs you reject, Asher Yasel, somehow Adam, that if man did it, Vachai Bahem, I promise you would live Bahem, Beshapsasai, Chilaluma Od, and you will machalel my Shabbos so much. And once again, I decided I am going to destroy you in the desert. What did they do, if you think about it? The first Shabbos after the month, after he gives them this gift of Shabbos, they disobey the Kaddish Baruch Hu's orders that there will be enough month for two days and gather man on the Shabbos. They go out. On the second Shabbos, the Mephoshim say, is the incident of the person that gathers wood on Shabbos uh, when you're not allowed to do malacha. So they reckon on Shabbos, the first two weeks is dismal. So my plan now is to destroy you in the desert. And again, so that I won't be embarrassed before the nations. Who are going to say, he couldn't get them through the desert, their God. Um, and so I can't do that even though you've done nothing to earn it. But, 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 let me, but their God is just God. But what, what would it mean for humanity if the Jews had been destroyed? What does that mean? The Jews among all the nations right, are so destroyed. Then, then, then what? You mean they say so what? He couldn't get them out. No, no, but yeah, but, like, but, but then, then, then what? So, what is what? You know, God. Every there's one God. Oh, but the intention is ultimately the end game is he, Bchadish Baruch will be the God of every nation of the world. That's it's a, not will be, but isn't he is the God? How could there's only a God? Yeah, there's only one God. Right. Yes, okay. and so that they're saying. This one God that we're all supposed to adopt can't get his chosen people out of the desert. So that's why there's always this sense of you've got to avoid a chil Hashem, that you, you just do what you're supposed to do. Moshe plays on it brilliantly after the spies. When the Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I want to destroy the whole nation and just make a new nation out of you, he says, you can't do that. 
It's just going to look, look how it reflects on you. So it's, it's a theme that appears constantly in our history. So, I sought to stop and not take them from the land of milk and honey. They have followed again in my uh, ignoring my statutes. And so I've decided because of the Chilo not to destroy them in the nation. For Omar and now I say to the children, what I did do was after the Maraglim, all those that generation died out deliberately. I stalled going to to Israel after two years, stretched it out another 38 so that that generation would die. And I said to their sons, the survivors, don't follow what your parents did. Don't listen. I gave them a warning after I saved it. Ani Hashem Elokechem Bechukosai Lechu Besmishvatai Shamru Ba'asur Do what I am telling you to do. The Eshatsosai and my Shabbos, and notice it's plural, meaning the Yom Tovim as well. Kachu Hayu La'os Beniyu Venechem, it will be sanctified and be a sign of covenant between you and I. Wadaski Ani Hashem Elokechem. Vayamrubi. They rebel against me again. They rebel at Baal Pa'or. They rebel with Don. They try putting up an, uh, an idol. So, the sons rebel. They refuse to listen. They are now, again, I say I am determined to extinguish them in my anger right here in the desert. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, for my own name, not because any merit on your part, but I don't want a chilo before the goyim, who I proudly took you out of Egypt before their eyes. And even in the Midbar, I sought to scatter them among the different lands and fling them out to the different lands. We do not see evidence of that, but some of the Navis say in the Mephoshim that there was an attempt. In any case, Yan Mishratilo Asu, because they have not obeyed my laws, my chukos, they've rejected my Shabbos, they flouted everything. I gave them laws that weren't good. This means I put them in the hands of foreign nations that gave them terrible oppression, and statutes they could not live with. I was metame them, 
And how they did, I gave them the laws of Bechor, that the firstborn child is to be sanctified, I gave them the firstborn right, and what did they do, the inference is? They passed it off to the Molech. They sacrificed their own children to Avodazar. Now comes Lachain, the payback, will be for all of this 8.45 a.m. tomorrow. Remember, there are only four more years for destruction, and destruction is irrevocable. Ad Khan.